Hello my friend, Lauren Sunshine here. I hope you're having a beautiful and creative day wherever you are in the world, and thank you for being here. So for today's episode, we're going to be doing something slightly different. So I had another podcast reach out to me, and they wanted to do a cross-promotion. So I just want to give you that disclaimer that that's what we're about to do. And I did find what they're talking about pretty interesting, actually. So like the theme of their show is Shakespeare. So apparently Shakespeare was some sort of a gender bender back in the day. And he really pushed the boundaries of gender. And so there's this fluid, like forward thinking perspective that he was offering. And, and obviously Shakespeare is still such a big influence in the world. and so. There's trans people that are exposed to certain types of like expansive gender thinking. And for some people, like Shakespeare is one of those beginning, like eye opening moments. And it kind of gets them in this uh, space where they start thinking about their own gender differently. And so for me, it was like, okay, it's kind of cool how people come onto this path if that makes sense, like all the different entry points of how we get those first tastes of gender as it's meant to be. Okay, I'll stop talking about it. And I'll just I'm going to give you a quick little intro that they wrote and they want they're going to have me read. And then after that, we're going to go right into a quick 10 minute preview of their episode. And if it resonates with you, you can listen to the full episode on their channel. That's the that's the deal. And like I said, like this is just an experiment for my end. So um, I am open to feedback from you because you're my audience and I do want to honor you, honor your time and make sure that I'm creating and posting content that is relevant to you. So that's my spiel. And now we're going to get into this quick intro. You're probably used to seeing Shakespeare in your high school English literature class or on the big stage, but did you know that Shakespeare turns up in so many other places? On the new podcast, Where There's a Will, Finding Shakespeare, Barry Edelstein, artistic director at one of the country's leading Shakespeare theaters and co-host, writer and director M. Weinstein, ask what it is about Shakespeare that's given him a continuous afterlife in all sorts of unexpected ways. You'll hear Shakespeare doing rehabilitative work in maximum security prisons, helping autistic kids to communicate, shaping religious observances in the mouths of U.S. presidents, and even at the center of a deadly riot in New York City. And as you'll hear in this preview, which we're about to get into, he's also helping people explore their gender identity. Barry and M look at how Shakespeare bent gender on the stage and in his writing and how that inspired M and others, like Jeopardy! champion Emmy Schneider, to step into their own truth. And if you want to listen to the full episode, then check out Where There's a Will, Finding Shakespeare, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now let's get into the clip. So M, people always ask me what my favorite Shakespeare play is, and I have this standard dodge. I always say it's whichever one I'm working on at the moment. Huh. <laughs> 
Yes. I mean, it's pretty much impossible to pick one. Winter's Tale brings me to tears. Hamlet turns me into a philosopher. Much Ado is like my favorite romantic comedy. I mean, it's hard to pick. It is. So at the Old Globe, we're starting to work on the shows that are going to be part of our Summer Shakespeare Festival next year. And the one we're preparing for at the moment is Twelfth Night. So good. I've directed Twelfth Night before, and it is definitely up there for me. I've directed it, too. And it may be my favorite anyway. It's just a perfect play. It has everything that makes Shakespeare Shakespeare. Gorgeous poetry, romance, crazy characters, fantastic story. Twins, a sword fight, cross-dressing. As I am woman, now alas the day, what thriftless sighs shall poor Olivia breathe? Oh, time! Thou must untangle this, not I. It is too hard a knot for me to untie. So M. Twelfth Night is also on my mind for a whole other reason. That's the Shakespeare play that was in rehearsal when you came to work at the Old Globe for the first time, which is when you and I met. Yeah, in 2015. We just heard a little piece of that production. Rutina Wesley was spectacular as Viola. Yes, we met when I was in my early 20s, and I just finished a classical directing fellowship. We spent an enormous amount of time talking about Shakespeare. So when I was looking for someone to join me on this podcast expedition in search of Shakespeare, you were absolutely the only choice. Thanks, Barry. I mean, it's been so fun to be your co-pilot as I pop in and out of TV directing gigs, which remind me a lot of Elizabethan England, but we can get to that another time. (laughs) Yes. So speaking of our friend William, what I didn't know at the time and what I've learned since is that there really is a unique and deeply personal dimension to your relationship with Shakespeare. And you've been so generous in talking about it and sharing it with me, and I'm really grateful to you for that. Well, Shakespeare's been really central to my life in terms of how I think about gender. Kind of like in that clip from Twelfth Night we just heard, Viola calls her gender too hard a knot for me to untie. You know, I saw this tweet that says, your gender isn't assigned at birth. It's assigned by your English teacher when your class does a Shakespeare play. It's a great tweet. We should use it as the subtitle for this week's episode. Because what I'd love to talk about this week is what is this guy from England 400 years ago doing in the middle of our contemporary conversation about gender? And Em, I'm so grateful that you're willing to take the lead on this. Thanks, Barry. You know, I've worked in a lot of different places with a lot of different people on Shakespeare. And to me, there's always this question in his work about where gender lives in his characters and how it can be examined and toyed with in his plays. Dear lad, believe it, for they shall yet belie thy happy years that say thou art a man. Diana's lip is not more smooth and rubious Thy small pipe is as the maiden's organ, shrill and sound, and all assemblative a woman's part. (laughs) I'm Barry Edelstein. And I'm M. Weinstein. And this is Where There's a Will, Finding Shakespeare, from the Old Globe and Pushkin Industries. Our show discovers Shakespeare in all sorts of unexpected places and asks what he's doing there and what his presence means about him and about us. So the first time I acted in a Shakespeare play, I got cast as a boy, and it was a little taste of gender euphoria. It turns out I wasn't alone in this. I spoke to someone who also had a major discovery in a Shakespeare play. She's an expert on about a zillion subjects. 
If you've heard the name Amy Schneider, it's probably because you're a Jeopardy fan. From Oakland, California, Amy Schneider. Amy recently had the longest Jeopardy winning streak of all time. I remember. What an amazing achievement. Well, I wanted to talk to Amy because I saw this article about how playing the role of Francis Flute in Shakespeare's play A Midsummer Night's Dream helped her realize who she really was. Oh, Em, can I just remind our listeners about Flute? So there's a play within a play in A Midsummer Night's Dream, and throughout the show, we watch this group of amateur actors rehearse it and perform it. Francis Flute is a bellows mender. His job is to tend to the tools that keep a fire going in a, in a factory or a shop. And there's this female character in the play that the men are working on, and Flute gets assigned to play it. Yes, and Amy was cast to play Francis Flute in a community theater production in the Bay Area. And so I decided at the beginning, you know, you're going through deciding your character motivation, which is another great thing about Shakespeare, which is that there's so much ambiguity that there's a lot of different ways you can play even a small character. And so I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to try to play it as this dude's really kind of stoked about dressing up as a woman. And, you know, that's a more interesting choice was the reason I gave myself for why I wanted to do it that way. But... Clearly, in retrospect, like, it was giving me an excuse to enjoy it. Flute initially says he doesn't want to play the girl. And there's all of this discussion about what his voice is going to sound like and what he's going to do about his beard, which he may or may not really have. But then, when the play is performed, Flute delivers a really beautiful monologue that transcends the comedy. He ends up embodying this woman with grace and depth, and in front of all of us, this man who was terrified of not being manly enough has now embraced this different gender and found an authentic, moving voice. You know, it's fascinating because Amy was really going through something parallel at the time. She was in her early 30s and presenting to the world as male. There I am every day, like, and I can remember specifically, like, sense memories of being backstage when I'm getting into my female costume and, like, rubbing some lipstick on my cheeks for, you know, cartoonishly overdone blush and, like, putting this big wig on sideways. Like, the idea was that I loved dressing up as a woman was terrible at it, was the joke. And it just felt so good. And then I'm driving home one day and I just said, huh, I wonder if I could just, like, wear a dress anytime. And I imagined myself doing that and then introducing myself to somebody as the name I randomly picked at the time was Jenny. I was like, what if I said, hi, I'm Jenny? And my, I went, whoa. I kept driving somehow, but it's like really one of the most shocking moments of my life that suddenly it was like those things in the movies where somebody just like gasps and then there's this like montage of flashbacks to how all the clues fit together now. I mean, that was one of the things I was thinking about it is like this role that was so powerful and, and, and empowering in my life is also a cruel trans joke. The ones that I'd been growing up with all my life about, ooh, he's dressed up like a girl, like da 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 da, you know? That's the thing about Shakespeare is that like the Taming of the Shrew is pretty misogynist and like all these other things, like there's all this stuff, but at the same time, there's so much truth in it and so much power that everybody can find the parts of it that work for them and then try and tune out the rest. Wow, M, that double view of Francis Flute is so great. I've seen productions where it's just a straight-ahead joke that he's in a dress. And Amy's right. The comedy is rooted in a kind of cruelty. There's a definite cruelty there. 
but I've always seen it as having the potential to be more complex. Flute is afraid of being seen as womanish in front of all these other guys, but there's also this unexpected reversal. Unlike other popular media in which we laugh at men in dresses, Flute has the ability to make us cry. Maybe playing the woman is exactly what he needed. Maybe he needed to locate that truth inside himself, even if he isn't trans and he never puts on a dress again. That's such a great reading of the play. I'd love to see a production that does that. Well, I will say, you know, a lot of this interpretation is coming from me as a trans person desperately looking for representation. Amy and I talked about this very thing. It's such a beautiful idea that there's as much power in us finding meaning in other people's stories as there is in the artist's initial intention. And I think... That's something that gives me a lot of power because there is so little representation of us out there, and yet we have to see ourselves. It's a human thing, especially in art. Yeah, playing someone who's playing a woman was different than playing a woman, you know, and it was something that I guess I could access more easily. I, th I think that makes sense. And I think, as we talked about, the fact that our reading of Francis Flute as really, like, discovering themselves within the role and really getting into it and really having a moment, that was an image of being a trans woman that I had never had before. Somehow in my mind it was, you are born as a baby and you know you're a trans woman and then like society fights you and then eventually like you move out of your home and you, you get to do it. And that wasn't me. But being a trans woman means being a boy for a while and then being a trans woman. And that's what that gave me. I love how Amy thinks about this. Francis Flute's journey to embodying womanhood is messy and contradictory and even looks like toxic masculinity for a while. And even though I felt like a boy my entire life, it took many decades for me to accept myself as trans, in part because I had no stories, no plays, no movies, no role models. How exciting is it then that Shakespeare can stand in for us in this way, to hold as a tour a mirror up to nature, as Hamlet puts it? How exciting that he can give brilliant people like Amy Schneider a home. We'll be back after a break. <laughs> 